Hello folks, my name's Ian Loring, welcome to Cinerama. First of all, I want to apologise for the delay, this is the latest I've put out an episode in months, and I'll be honest, uh, it's all to do with Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I have been trying to get Lifeboat, uh, let's just say, but getting it has been far, far slower than I ever could anticipate, and there only seems to be one decent, even half-decent source for getting it on the interweb, let's just say. Um, so, yeah, I really, really, really wanted to do it for this week's show, because I hate the fact that I always put off marathons, but... It was putting off the show to such an extent, and it's not going to be done by today, and I'm recording this introduction on Tuesday, uh, that I think I'm just going to have to get the show out, because, like, the rest of the show's pretty much done, so, it, it you know, it's ready to go, so, hey. So, uh, coming up this week, reviews, including the new Tom Tickford directed thriller, The International, and the David S. Goya directed The Unborn. And uh, there's also going to be movie news, trailer talk, and listener feedback. Um, unfortunately, the Hitchcock Marathon's not going to continue next week either, because I've got a special show lined up next week, more details of which at the end of the show. Uh, okay, so feedback is more than welcome. Please email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ianloring. Read me at the rattle at therattle.co.uk. Uh, votes on podcast Ali uh, appreciated it's a new month two people have voted already thank you very much and reviews on iTunes always muchly appreciated right with the preamble out of the way Clive Owen and Naomi Watts try to take down a bank in the uh, of our times thriller even though the script must have been written at least a couple of years back um, the international <laughs> we began receiving intelligence regarding the International Bank of Business and Credit. Anyone that's ever been in a position to move against this bank has either ended up dead or disappeared. You are accusing the world's largest bank of conspiracy and murder. Well, General, we can offer you much more. Weapons, intelligence, logistical support. We can't allow anyone to put our agenda at risk. They control everything. How would you like us to proceed? Send a message. There has to be a way to bring down this bank. You will have to go outside the system of justice. Because everyone is involved. Everyone. They'll get to you. If they can't get to you, they'll get to your family. The hardest thing is to know which bridge to cross and which to burn. I'm the one you're burned. Okay, lead review of the week is The International, which is directed by Tom Tickver and stars Clive Owen, Naomi Watts and Armin Müller-Stahl. Tom Tickver is a very interesting director, I hope you would agree with me. Um, he has uh, two of his films that he's uh, made that I have seen uh, both very, very much impressed me. Um, Run, Lola, Run, which I just ordered about ten minutes ago on Amazon on Blu-ray for £8.98, which I was very happy with. Um, was a wonderfully paced um, 
slight, a bit slight, but um, nonetheless an impressive um, film, which featured a breakout performance from Franca Potenti and uh, some really cracking visuals and a great kinetic style. But um, Perfume, the story of a murderer, was a completely different beast, uh, a, a big two and a half hour long kind of sweeping European epic, which uh, successfully de uh, visually depicted uh, scent, which is uh, quite something. Uh, an adaptation of Patrick Zuskin's novel of the same name, which was uh, deemed unfilmable, uh, he made it filmable, and in my view was one of the best films of 2006. Yeah, it probably was 2006, bloody hell. Um, but his new film, his first Hollywood film, The International, um, okay trailer, but um, nothing too awe-inspiring. And um, unfortunately, the film seems to be getting more press just because of um, its so-called timeliness. Even though I'm pretty sure when the script was written and when the film was made, no one quite thought that bankers were actually a bunch of idiots, not um, methodical, mass evil criminal masterminds as depicted in this film. So is it really that timely? Well, you know, that's open for interpretation, I suppose. Um so, um, what of the film itself? Well, on the face of it, it is another Hollywood studio thriller. Um, there are a few points which um, do defy belief. Some of it is a bit contrived. But I've got to say, um, it, uh, in terms of non-kind of awardsy kind of films, this is probably my favourite film of the year so far. But um, I've got to say, I still prefer Slumdog, Doubt and The Wrestler, just off the top of my head. But what I think The International is, is a criminally underrated, um, above-average Holly mainstream Hollywood thriller, which thrills in ways you wouldn't expect. The film is slow, it's almost two hours, and takes up every single minute of that. Um, there's no real fat to the film whatsoever, it must be said. And um, it, 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 it has a feeling of films made more like 20, 30 years ago than anything made in the noughties. Um, you know, the editing, apart from the shootout sequence, is not exactly kinetic. Um, things are usually done very much within the law the film's not really about the, uh, the law being taken into one man's hands um and you know apart from the shootout it is more process and intrigue and conspiracy and i really really enjoyed that it's it i mean it's not exactly profound but every single minute of the film was absolutely fucking gripping to me and uh, i enjoyed every single second um i mean the the key way in which i think this is shown that it's not quite like your average hollywood thriller is the fact that the main standout action sequence happens and then there's a good 20 minutes of the plot to go you have this massive awesome like pretty damn staggering shootout sequence um in the guggenheim which is a very interesting place to stage a shootout and the way clive owen goes against all these people feels strangely realistic there's no one-man superhero stuff here he uses kind of 
good realistic grounded looking covering techniques and you know a, a real disregard for the bodies of those he kills and i mean it's a staggering sequence which would finish off most films but then you've got another 20 minutes to go and in this the real point of the film really comes into its own and while i don't want to give away any spoilers because i would very very much recommend you see this um the film doesn't finish off in the all loose ends tied up satisfactorily um, satisfactorily way and i think a lot of people have been angered by that the film ends on a very downbeat tone um the fate of one character in particular is left a bit open even though the insinuation of something said in the last two minutes says that it might not be so open and um you should stay through the part the first part of the credits as well where these newspaper articles pop up kind of developing the story a little bit which offer a bit of a ray of hope but also just very quickly shows how a big company can always find a way especially one that's got its fingers in so many pie in so many pies to um maybe not be as finished off as you may think i'll just say that um it all just feels like that's something that could happen you know when assassinations are done they are you know they're 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 staged so it looks like crazy political parties did it and um you know it's all very clever the way the bank covers its own tracks is just ridiculously like thoughtful i mean as you'd expect it would be and the whole thing just plays out as almost as if it could actually happen and i mean it's really quite staggering and i mean i was just very impressed tom tickver's direction throughout is you know just very interesting there's some very interesting shots you know the way he kind of deals with people lower down the food chain of authority than clive owen uh, clive owen's character is you know again very interesting It, it doesn't go the way you think it does there's no bumbling new york stereotype cops here they're good at their jobs and they're not you know they're not crooked which is you know great to see because i was half thinking one character was going to turn out to be a bad guy but you know no you know it's just like i think i've said grounded a lot but it does just feel grounded realistic and was all the more pleasurable for it um clive owen's performance is uh pretty good you know he's just like pissed off exasperated throughout can't believe what he's being told in a lot of moments and um you just get the sense that he wants to unleash and i mean it's it's a it's a captivating performance naomi watts sadly gets saddled with a character who becomes less and less significant as the film goes on even though the way in which her character ends up on screen was again satisfying and the fact that there's no real hint of sexual tension between the two means that there's no will they won't they stuff there's a nice moment between them in an elevator at one point but you never think it actually really means anything it's just kind of like a light touch one of the only light touches in the film and it's good to see it not go down the kind of stereotype route it's it's established very early on naomi watts is obviously married and has a kid in the film so you know it's not gonna she's not gonna stray too far and she doesn't you know fair play uh armin muller style as the um is he the big bad is he not guy is uh pretty good you know he doesn't get too much screen time but um 
his one-on-one with Clive Owen late on in the film is one of the best scenes of the of, of the film. And uh, I should also mention, uh, mention Patrick Balladi, um, a man who I recognise throughout. And I looked on IMDb and it turns out he's been in a lot of British TV. Um, he plays this lawyer, Mr. White, who's so smug and up himself that um, he's a wonderfully evil kind of character. And um, the way he, uh, the arc of his character is um, quite fun as well. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. So I've got to say, the International, um, as well as Valkyrie are two real surprises for how much I enjoyed them. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, because, you know, with Valkyrie, I've enjoyed most of Brian Singer's work. And with uh, The International, I've enjoyed all of Tikva's work that I've seen so far, so it's not that much of a surprise. But it's very, very much my pick of the week. And the film's going to get buried next week when Watchmen comes out. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would very much urge you to um, give it a shot. Or if you don't see it at the cinema, at least check it out on DVD or Blu-ray as um it's one that i think real i i think anyway like real film fans would like it doesn't offer too much in the way of visceral thrills except for the shootout sequence but what it does offer is intelligent gripping plotting which i don't think we're seeing enough of in the hollywood studio system today and uh those involved really should be congratulated Okay, it be news time, and after the relative drought last week, I've got quite a few things for you this week. Okay, so starting off, um, uh, Summit Entertainment are really, really, really uh, ragging out the uh, every single last penny they can get out of the Twilight franchise, it would seem, as um, Chris Weitz's New Moon, which I believe has not started shooting yet, but comes out on November the 20th in the US, uh, following that, um, Chris Weitz has said that he's not going to be directing the third film because there's simply not enough time. Uh, considering that um, Summit wants the third film out on June 30th, 2010. That's three instalments of a franchise in little over 18 months. I realise they're not effects heavy blockbusters and whatnot, but fuck me um i just i really hope for summit's sake in a way anyway i mean um that um that the uh the interest in the twilight film uh, uh book series doesn't um doesn't wane i hear the books actually get worse as they uh, go along but um yeah i it, so basically the news is that it is being rumored that drew barrymore is to um direct the third film um I like that, uh, as Rush Fisher on Chud.com says, and um, I'm going to echo this sentiment, um, I, I also think it would be good to see a female director take up the uh, the film again. Um, the, the, the franchise reigns again. It's not to say that I, I... Well, it is aimed at women, I'll admit that, and I'm not saying that women should only direct women's films. Look at Catherine Bigelow and her body of work, for example, to show that that's bollocks. But... Um, I mean, I think it would be nice to see more women get major Hollywood fare, and if it has to be a female-aimed franchise, then so be it. Um, what can I say? I, I did not hate Twilight nearly as much as I thought I would. Um, I had some many problems with it, and much of it was ridiculous, but, you know, I didn't flat-out hate the film, and I'll probably see New Moon. I'll probably... I imagine I'll be seeing it for free. I assume I'm not going to lose my job between now and then. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'll probably keep on watching them. But the fact that they are 
willing to jeopardize any sort of creative freedom in term in exchange for a quick buck is um really quite something um Apparently, it's almost—it's also been rumoured that James Mangold and Juan Antonio Bayona, um, who directed the orphanage, could be under consideration as well. And uh, I think Bayona should uh, maybe work on something original. And uh, you know, I, I actually I quite like James Mangold as well. I really enjoyed Free Ten to Yuma. But um, yeah, it—it it, it worries me that this is all just getting so rushed. I mean. One thing that needed work in the first film was the CG, and I've got a feeling they're not going to have a lot of time for the CG in this one either. Okay, um, next. Um, Terence Malick's new film, The uh, Tree of Life. Um, it's been coming together uh, a little bit. Uh, it's been filming. But the major news this week is that apparently there are going to be dinosaurs in it, and it's going to be showing in IMAX. Terence Malick is not exactly one for blockbusters, so the fact that it's being thought of as an IMAX uh, feature is very, very interesting. Um, could this be Malick's version of the fountain? Uh, maybe, I suppose. Uh, what are the dinosaurs going to be doing in that? Who knows? Uh, could they just be in a few shots or could they be a prominent part of the film? Uh, I suppose we'll find out, but that is some very, very interesting news, I will say. Next, um, a little film that uh, I am quite excited about now, actually, which I've never heard of before, uh, Splice, uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro and directed by Vincenzo Natale, who directed Cube, uh, and it's going to start Adrian Brody and Sarah Polly, I should just say, I'm getting my news from Judd.com, as usual. Um... This sounds interesting, the plot, and I quote, Elsa and Clive, two young rebellious scientists, defy legal and ethical boundaries and forge ahead with a dangerous experiment, splicing together human and animal DNA to create a new organism. Named Dren, the creature rapidly develops form from a deformed female in, uh, infant into a beautiful but dangerous winged human chimera, who forges a bond with both of her creators, only to have that bond turn deadly. Um... Yeah, uh, there's a still as well, which looks pretty crazy. Um, it's like a bum with eyes and a nose or something. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, Adrian Brody, Sarah Polly. Uh, I was going to say they don't usually uh, do paycheck work, but Adrian Brody's in the new um, Argento film, which looks awful. So, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it just sounds like a very interesting idea. Um I'm hoping that this goes as gory and icky and maybe body horror as I'm thinking it might. And this is one I'm going to be keeping an eye on, I've got to say. Right, uh, next. Um, Alexander Payne, director of uh, Election About Schmidt and Sideways, has got a new project on the go, um, his first since Sideways, called Downsizing. Um, um, what's it about? Uh pretty weird a man uh facing financial hardship um hopefully being played by paul giamatti decides his life would be easier if he were miniaturized while shrunk he meets a woman to be played by reese witherspoon and an itty bitty foreigner to be played by sasha baron cohen um sounds absolutely insane um i've got to say um 
it, it, it sounds like there could be some serious visual effects here. Um, and yeah, it could be very, very clever satire, could be an absolute train wreck. But to be fair, in the hands of Alexander Payne, I'm going to go for clever satire over train wreck. But I suppose we will see. But um, yeah, that is an interesting one. Okay, and the last bit of news. Um, some more information about the remake of Let the Right One In has uh, come through. Um, I must just say uh, thank you to um, Ben or Dan from Mondo Movie who just replied to a Twitter of mine saying that the Blu-ray that's out in America is region free, so I think I might buy that. Um, anyway, the yes, the remake of Let the Right One In is to begin shooting in May. Matt Reeves, who directed Cloverfield, is to direct from his own script, and it is going to be retitled Let Me In. Now, on Twitter, about half an hour ago, I said that Let Me In sounded like it was kind of already missing the point of the film. Uh, I know Ellie kind of asked him to let her in in... Uh, in one scene in the film but I thought let the right one in and was a far more enigmatic and suitable title but Jim Moon uh, corrected me and fair play um, saying that let me in is actually t the title of some of the English translations of the novel so okay that's fine um, I suppose we're gonna have to wait for casting news I hope it's not any famous kids um, I'd like two unknowns to be honest but I don't think you're gonna get anybody who's gonna play the role as well as Oscar or Ellie and um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of dreading this one. Uh, I suppose it could be out towards the end of the year, or probably more likely the start of next year. So I suppose we're not going to have too much time um, to wait. But uh, yeah, this is one I'm really dreading. But uh, let the right one in is actually coming out in the UK in cinemas in April. Uh, Momentum are distributing it. And it recently got a five-star review in Empire. So um, if you have not seen it uh, and you're in the UK, uh, I believe it's April the 10th or something like that, um, that it's coming out. So not too long to wait, even though the size of the release I'm not too sure of just yet. So that is it for your movie news for this week. And there, I'm sure, will be more next week. So, for the kids. The baby was down when I got here and the four-year-old count out as soon as I read to him. Case. Hang on. Some people are doorways. What are you doing, Maddie? You have to go. Ah! He wants to be born now. Case, there's something wrong with your eye. What are you talking about? One iris is a different color than the other, which happens occasionally when you're dealing with twins. I'm an only child. Hey, all right? Am I a twin, Dad? He died while the two of you were still in Europe. Your mother never told you, but I knew. By living, you denied it entry into our world. The Unborn is directed by David S. Goyer, who also wrote the film and stars Odette Justman, Gary Oldman, Megan Good, Kam Jagande, and Idris Elba. 
Okay, um, the unborn concerns Casey, played by Odette Usman, who starts seeing some weird shit all over the place. Um, when her eye, one of her eyes goes a different colour, uh, it is revealed that she actually had a twin who um, died in the womb after Casey's umbilical cord strangled him. The twin would appear to have come back from the dead wanting to be born now and uh there you go uh okay um so the unborn is the latest directorial effort by david s goya um who's written and rewritten a lot of stuff in the past and um is currently on riding on the back of a bit of success um he co-wrote batman begins and came up with some of the story ideas for the dark knight and obviously because the dark knight has done so well he's been getting a fair bit of um acclaim for it and uh i'm also uh a little bit of a fan of david escoya just a little bit um because he helped write dark city um he's his turn to uh directing has not fared so well so far Blade Trinity was the worst received of the films and actually killed off a potential spin-off franchise. And his last film, The Invisible, went to uh, direct-to-DVD in the UK. His latest film, The Unborn, is the um, uh, another film ho- ho- uh, following hot off the, uh, the heels of Friday the 13th. It is also produced by uh, Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes company, like that film. And uh, the combination of a bit of a jumpy trailer and a PG-13 and 15 rating has ensured that the film did pretty well in the US on its opening box office uh, weekend and uh, judging by the crowds at the cinema where I work has done pretty damn well this weekend in the UK. The question is, is it any good? Well, what David Escoya does do, which is actually quite admirable, is bring about a new kind of way of um, a new mythology to insert into horror films and uh this is some jewish mythology and uh notably uh, a dibuk a uh demon uh, well a, a, what is it it's a being which has been denied entry into heaven which is trying to get back into the real world so little bit of a spoiler but to be fair a lot of the reviews i've read have talked about this as well it's not actually um her stillborn twin trying to get it um get through it is a dibuk um and that area is interesting but it does unfortunately bring in um stuff about auschwitz um which leads the film to include the line you must finish what was started at auschwitz uh david s goya really needed to do another draft i think or at least needed to read that line out loud even though then again when he shot it he should have realized that hmm that line's a bit dodgy and um so it turns out to be now a dibuk i suppose in a way is quite a cool name for a demon but the name given to this thing throughout the film is not cool basically um when Casey finds out from her father that um, she was actually a twin, he tells um, her what the, the 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 thing was called. And we've heard and seen the name a few times through the film so far. The first time I heard the name, I actually said to uh, to the people I was with, "Did they just say Jumbie?" And they all la- laughed at me like, "No, nah, of course not." 
two minutes later, you see a hallucination where she, uh, Casey looks down and sees that she's written, Jumbie wants to be born now multiple times. Jumbie, J-U-M-B-Y. Apparently, that was the nickname her parents gave her unborn twin brother, Jumbie. It doesn't help that you've got creepy little kid popping up sometimes saying, Jumbie wants to be born now. It's not a surprise that the promotional campaign, inclu uh, uh, including the tagline, has said he wants to be born now, not Jumbie wants to be born now. Um, I know I'm obsessing over this point, but you can't have a horror film with the, 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 the ghostly thing called Jumbie. It takes away so much potential scares just then. I found myself actually, for some reason, just going jumbie jumbie a lot through the film to myself. And um, I've got to say, me doing that, saying jumbie jumbie, was more entertaining than most of the film. Because apart from the rather original idea of this Dibbuk, which, you know, I can't say I've ever seen in a horror film... Um, and a few decent images, even though they're all awfully CG'd up. But, um, you know, people with upside-down heads and, uh, like, dogs with pig face masks on. Though Those are quite cool images. But when you tie it to a story so shitty, and actually the scares in those images you used in are so... Music rising up, music rising up, music rising up. Quiet. Bah! You know, it, 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 it's... It, I mean, it's just so uninspiring that it, it's really quite depressing. But the thing is, I don't think David Goya was making this film for a hardcore horror audience. He was making this film for, you know, 15, 16-year-olds out on a date on a Friday night. And and for that, it will do fine. It It's got enough lazy scares that will still scare people who haven't seen enough horror films to know the scares and i actually one thing i will say goya has the cheek to do the bathroom mirror thing like turn the bathroom mirror something there thing does it twice with nothing there but then the next time you expect it something happens a bit earlier and i've actually got to say that was good that was a, a fun little scare which kind of showed that goya knew the kind of tr cheesy scares that a lot of horror films do but the thing is he knew them <coughs> excuse me but apart from that one bit he carries on with them and um it was just all very, very lazy and uninspiring. And also what doesn't help is the climax. Like uh, Mark Kermode said on his podcast this week, it basically turns into, can you have a fist fight with a demon? And it does do that. And then when the demon does go away, you just think, right, okay, is that it then? And then it turns out not to be it, with a really rather nonsensical two, uh, last two minutes, which... I'll just say this, if the the demon could have done what appears to happen at the end of the film in the first place, which I think he could have, why go to all this trouble? That's all I'll say. Okay, um, Odette Eustman is awful in the role. She was okay as the damsel in distress in Cloverfield, but that, I suppose that was because she was barely in it. But 
you know she her her face just expresses everything and you know she articulates everything and she's very gesticulating and it's very distracting uh megan good as the supposedly lovable best friend is awful 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 um i've never liked her i found her very annoying in saw five um her best role for me was in one missed call but that's because she dies in the first three or four minutes along with her cat that film's brilliant um but she just she's the jive talking sassy black girl who unfortunately you know is going to get killed about two-thirds of the way through the film and you know spoiler alert she does i don't fuck it if you don't think if you don't know she's going to get killed within the first five minutes of her popping up on screen then you know shame on you uh, everyone's favourite shit actor, Cam Shigande, uh, fresh off of Twilight uh, and uh, Step Up to the Streets, I believe, and Never Back Down, uh, is the useless boyfriend character whose only plot function is to facilitate the ending. I will say that much. Um, I mean, I mean he, he, he's just nothing, you know, there's nothing to him. Um, Idris Elba um, has a tiny role which again the only reason why he's really introduced is to facilitate the ending and Gary Oldman is slumming it something fierce as the least convincing rabbi you could ever hope to see um, oh and right I've got to find out this actress's name Jane Alexander as Sophie Cosma whose idea of Jewish uh, of a, doing a Jewish accent is to put was into everything into her accent and that's it um it's just awful stuff but the thing is though it's the kind of mid-budget opening weekend budget grossing film which will find a bit of a life on dvd and blu-ray probably in some sort of uncut edition unrated edition which will add an extra three seconds it's very cookie cutter um, I've quite liked the work that Rogue Pictures has been putting out. Doomsday and The Strangers were two of my best, my favourite kind of action-y, horror-y kind of films of 2008. But The Unborn is pretty much complete bilge. And the, the thing is, though, it's it, it'll easily make back its money. There'll easily be more of these films. There's one, uh, a remake of A Tale of Two Sisters, The Uninvited, which has already come out in America. It did pretty bad, actually. It's due out over here in a couple of months, which um, just looks like exactly the same kind of thing. And um, it's just... Meh. Why? Why? I, I have to see pretty much horror film, every horror film I can get my hands on. Uh, but when you get such... Just run-of-the-mill below a par stuff like this I you know I wonder why I like the genre so much but then again I mean if I had given this positive uh, this film a positive review I almost think I would have shocked myself to be honest I mean it's it's all just incredibly it must be quite not well I hope it's not boring listening to this but unsurprising that you know hey I saw it so there you go Does it involve girls? Let's go hiking. That is one of the most depressingly shitty ideas for a holiday I've ever heard in my life, ever. Country air. Nothing like it. it smells like normal air with cow shit in it. What the chances? These girls are all going to the exact same cottage that we are. 
was that? Vampires. Vampires? Vampires? Lesbian vampires. Nice one. Lesbian vampires. Oh. It's not too late to save your friends, this village, the entire world. Post. Oh, yeah. You have to find Trudy. You like Trudy, don't you? is rock solid. Get in. Next time he'll have me bummed by a big gay werewolf, I swear. Okay, it's trailer talk time and we started there with the full trailer for Lesbian Vampire Killers. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of this film, this is a UK film um, starring two uh, pretty damn successful um, uh, comic actors in uh, the UK at the moment, James Corden and Matthew Horn. Um, both are stars and James Corden co-wrote uh, the series Gavin and Stacey, which I believe is getting a US adaptation and... Um, is one of the best comedies um, on UK TV at the moment, and uh, they've got a sketch show coming out soon as well, and um, so this is their first film together. And uh, not written by them, though, um, by either of them, though. Um, but, yeah, it basically concerns two young guys uh, who go for a weekend of hiking and find themselves um, up against lesbian vampires. Um, wonderfully um, evocative title... <laughs> Um, we stuck a poster for it up in work, then got told to take it down about two days later, which I suppose isn't too much of a surprise. And, um, it, I think, I don't know, it just looks fun. Um, James Corden looks to be the kind of mouthy, kind of sweary one. Uh, Matthew Horn looks to be the kind of broader, make silly faces, um, get embarrassed a lot one. Um, but they've got a good double act going on, um... Just the whole idea of lesbian vampires is a fun one. And you've got ex-Doctor Who Paul McGann as a uh, priest fighting the lesbian vampires. So it's going to be fun, I suppose. I mean, I, maybe it'll be shit, but the trailer the trailer's funny enough. Um, I think it's going to be pretty bloody successful um, in the UK anyway. I believe it's playing like the Midnight Madness section at South by Southwest. So it's going to get some sort of limited American release by the looks of it. And um, I think it's one to keep an eye on. comes out in the UK on March 20th, so um, you can actually expect a review on the show in a few weeks' time. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. So on to the second and final trailer for this week. If I told you I grew up in LA, I'd be lying. Here... No one ever grows up. In my town, we have it all. I'm totally psyched. We're going to go see Ride Metro. That is if Graham remembered to get the ticket. I got the tickets and stopped saying totally. Whenever we want it. I 
Okay, and that was uh, the trailer for the Informers adaptation of the Bret Easton Alice book of the same name. Um, premiered at Sundance, got awful reviews from every single person. So, uh, yeah, what's the trailer like? Well, I don't know. Um, the voiceover was horrific. If that was Brad Renfro, then if this is his last performance, poor guy. Um, I mean, obviously, if Brad Renfro's in it, this this project's been on the shelf for a bit. But, um, yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Mickey Rourke, Kim Basinger, Billy Bob Thornton, Winona Ryder, Amber Heard. It's a good cast. Um even though this is a film which uh, Devin Farachi from Chud.com actually said that somebody contracts AIDS and dies. Uh, uh, she contracts it on like the Friday, dies on the Monday, apparently. Um, so this film is fast-acting AIDS, so I suppose it'll probably be worth it just to see that. But um, yeah, I mean, it looks like a lot of different separate stories all kind of coming together around this one like central idea. Um, it... I don't know, it looked alright, um, you know, I mean, apparently the film's awful, and to be honest, the amount of people saying it is awful, I'm sure it will be, but it looked pretty kind of standard indie film, um, it looked very glossy, um, everybody looked very pretty, um, or rather vacuous, even though I suppose LA was supposed to be, and you know what, I'm still gonna bloody watch it, um, that cast is, I think, worth watching alone, and, you know, it, you know, I, I, it still appeals to me, what can I say, um, I liked American Psycho, and I want to see where this one goes, the trailer doesn't really do a lot to inspire, but, you know, hey, um, I'm sure I'll catch it on DVD, I doubt it's going to be coming out of the cinema over here, I'm sure I'll catch it on DVD or Blu-ray at some point, so, that is it for Trailer Talk this week, and, um, there is a new Star Trek uh, trailer um, attached to Watchmen, I hear. So um, I'm sure I'll be discussing that next week. So then, after my call for more feedback last week, uh, people have very much obliged. So thank you to everyone who's written in this week. And let's get started then uh, with Joshua Lou from the Cinema Cafe podcast. Uh, I've got his latest episode downloading as we speak, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing what he thinks about. Uh, well, he and Penny think about Street Fighter, Legend of Chun-Li. I must say as well, Josh, you need to uh, treat your lady a bit better, I think. Um, I don't know whether it's just the two of you, like, your interaction or whatever, but there always seems to be a line of seeming, like, taking the piss a little bit too much on the show. And uh, while I find it very funny, I can't help but feel sorry for Penny. Um, anyway, uh... <laughs> Joshua says, hey Ian, you want some feedback and I'm always happy to oblige. About your Gran Torino review, it seems like along with Ben Button, Gran Torino is one of the major 2008 films that has divided people. I agree with many of your points about it. As a film, it does feel weak at times, however I don't think it's as unintentionally funny as you think. 
While Clint Eastwood movies have always had a message, I've never felt that they were preachy, and this kind of subject matter could easily devolve, uh, devolve even sorry, into uh, preachiness without a hint of levity. Look at the ultra preachy 2005 crash film. Uh, you speak the truth, brother. Um, also, I think minorities have come across on two sides of this film. They either think it's funny or offensive. Being Asian myself, I thought it was hilarious and totally on-key. Also, concerning the monologue of the main young Mongo, I think it fails because she's an unskilled actress and not because of the material. I grew up similarly as the main Homong boy. Uh, a lot of the kids I knew were in gangs, and the older sisters of friends all acted older. Even if they were only 14, if you were the oldest kid, especially the oldest daughter, you had to act a certain way. Motherly, monologuing how every acts, uh, uh, because that's how you're expected to act. It's odd, I know, but that maybe that's the a major dividing point for people, since this movie, while not directed by an Asian, is a cultural divide. And maybe that's why I liked it, while some uh, some many people didn't, since I recognised my life in the young Hmong boy. Then again, I could totally be blinded, and Gran Torino does in fact suck balls, but what do I know, right? Ben Button was my second favourite movie of the year. Also, love the push review. Terrible movie, but I still had some fun with it. Is it me, or did the restaurant scene where the two movers battled look like the crappiest use of a special effects budget ever? I mean, I thought I was suddenly watching a puppet show because the guns just floated around in the air, moving so jerkily up and down that it appeared that they were held aloft by strings. Couldn't the producer of Push ask for, I don't know, a few more bucks to look, make it look a little better? Keep up the great work, Joshua. Uh, thank you, Joshua. Um, yeah, Push. What really made me laugh is he's absolutely right. If you haven't seen Push, there's these, there's this uh, scene where these uh, two uh, movers are, are battling, and uh, and then one of them gets these guns and puts them to these two bad guys' heads, and then uh, and then um, sorry, I think uh, our new table and chairs set just arrived outside. Um, <laughs> um. And yeah, basically, it, 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 the, the guys trying to talk him out out of like shooting, and uh, as they do, the the guns kind of start shaking around as if like he's like shaking because he's or getting nervous, and they look like they were just being jerked about on uh, on on strings, you know. I mean, it, it's as as Joshua says, it's absolutely horrible, and considering that that's really the only major kind of obvious effects work in the film there's a lot of stunt work in the film but in terms of cg that's the major one um it's really quite disappointing um yeah so gran torino um yeah i, I mean i think josh and joshua's and i's tastes differ a little bit on 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 gran torino and indeed benjamin button um and with Gran Torino, I don't know, it's just, Clint Eastwood never, well he hasn't made a comedy for years, and I really don't think he was intending on making as much of it as funny as I thought it was, I mean the scene where he's grumbling just before kicking his kids out and whatnot, that was almost parody, and I can't see that as being intentionally done, really, because it just doesn't feel like Eastwood's style. Um, yeah, I mean, may maybe uh, maybe that main monologue by the girl was because she's an unskilled actress, but it was, I don't know, I felt it was all just a bit, I can't, contrived maybe, the fact that she just point, she just pointed out all these guys 
like, oh yeah, you know, you're you're the one who likes Asian girls and blah 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 blah. And it, it it was all a little. I mean, I also didn't think any girl would actually do that in real life because, you know, those guys still looked fairly hard. But you know, um, hey. But I mean, a lot of people do like Gran Torino and. To be honest with you, I'm I'm very mixed on it. I enjoyed the shit out of the film, but I think I shouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I did. And I think maybe that's the real problem with it. So thank you very much, Joshua. Moving on. Uh, Jason Farrell, who says, uh, I hate subject lines, but I like your podcast, so I'll struggle on through. Uh, hey, Ian, I enjoyed the show this week. I chuckled to hear you talk about the scene in Gran Torino when Clint comically grinds his teeth before chucking out his kids. There you go. I referenced that very same in, uh, scene in an email to Mike and Paul by way of explaining why I've hesitated to go see that movie. I'm still hesitating. Your review clarifies some things, but it wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement. In some ways, I think Clint gets a bit of a pass these days because of his body of work and the overall respect he and his films engender. I'm a fan, at least in part, because my dad is the biggest Clint fan alive. But since at least Heartbreak Ridge, which was, what, 57 years ago, it seems like he's been playing a parody of his gravelly-voiced self, and I don't really enjoy watching his film uh, him as much as I'd like to. All in all, I think I can safely wait to rent Gran Torino. I'll miss much by not uh, I don't think I'll miss much by not seeing it on the big screen are you kidding me with that expendables cast that's an amazing fucking lineup it would have been kind of funny if in deference to the movie title they'd stuck to only b-list or kind of washed up action stars I'm including Stallone in that so apologies in advance it would have given John Claude two new movies in two years but seriously that sounds amazing and I've got to see it even if at this point I have no idea what it's about I mean I'm assuming it's something like the dirty dozen is it a remake I always watched. I also watched the trailer for Inglorious Bastards, or whatever, whatever fucked up spelling Tarantino inexplicably gives it, and I'm quivering with anticipation for that as well. I've been showing it to all my like-minded friends and re-watching Kill Bill in preparation. The only thing I could think of while I listened to that Transformers 2 uh, trailer was it will be a shoo-in for the sound mixing or sound editing Oscars for 2009. Maybe the Academy will award both Oscars and admit in the process that they don't know the difference between them either. Speaking of the Oscars, you didn't miss anything. It wasn't any longer than uh, normal, but it was very boring. I kept hoping that Hugh Jackman would pop up some claws and cut Adrian Brody in half, but alas, alas he just sang, uh, and danced, wretch, in musical numbers that would have been cutting edge 40 years ago. I was, however, very happy to see Slumdog gets lo get lots of love. I'm not a very good judge of the best films of 2008, really, since there are so many I haven't seen, but I do know that I loved Slumdog like few films I've seen over the past few years. Alright, that's it for now. Keep recording stuff and I'll keep listening. In a weird twist, I think I'm looking forward to your potential Watchmen crossover podcast more than I'm looking forward to the movie itself, but I'm, happy, I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised, uh, surprised. Guess I'll find out in less than two weeks. Have a good one, Jason Farrell. Well, more information on the crossover podcast at the end of the show. Um, yeah, um, I, I think... Clint Eastwood's character really is a character. As much as I, I've got a lot to complain about with Gran Torino, Walt Kowalski does feel like someone called Walt Kowalski who lives where he lives. It is a very good performance from Eastwood. There's just severe tonal problems I have with the film mainly. And, um, yeah, and I, I suppose that's really my major problem with it. Uh, the Expendables. I hear it's about a bunch of mercenaries go, uh, being hired to overthrow a South Af uh, American dictator. That's all I know. Um, yeah, Inglorious Bastards uh, coming out in the UK the same day as the US, which is awesome. We got the trailers in at work last week, but as of yet, we're not playing it with anything, and I can't wait to play it with something. 
Um, yeah, Transformers 2. Uh, yeah, I mean, is is sound mixing about kind of the placement of the sound and like the levels and whatnot and the sound editing is the specific sounds themselves and how they're put together? I, I don't really know. If someone wants to tell me, I'd be pretty interested. Um yeah, the uh, the Oscars. I saw some highlights on Sky One, and I thought the uh, getting the older uh, actors out, uh, the old like winners out to uh, award the actors, was all a little. Uh... Oh, sorry, you're here. Ugh. My apologies. I'm getting bored by myself. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was pretty weak actually. Um, a lot of people have pointed this out, but um, Adrian Brody talking about if you Google Richard Jenkins. And Richard Jenkins looking pissed off. That really wasn't the best, like, way. I mean, Richard Jenkins is a very respected actor, and they just seem like they tossed out that monologue in five minutes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it all felt just very pally, which I suppose is maybe the point. But the fact that the audience was so close to the stage, I thought, was quite a surprise. But, you know, just, like, so, you know, when whoever it was was talking about Anne Hathaway can, like, can... can see Anne Hathaway and Anne Hathaway's like I love you I love you but she still didn't get the Oscar and yeah overall I'm actually pretty glad I didn't um I didn't listen to it even though I've got to say actually um Noel Mellor's Film Rant podcast um he did a, a very funny um edited half an hour of him getting progressively more drunk while watching the Oscars and um I I, I really did enjoy that though that was a great laugh and uh, I very thoroughly recommend that so, um, yeah, thank you very much, Jason. Uh, muchly appreciated, as always. Uh, okay, and we move on to Shane Day, who uh, emails again, and says, Hey, Ian, just thought I'd send an email in regards to your review of Gran Torino on this week's show. Having seen Gran Torino last night, I was looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the film. I get the impression that I enjoyed the film a lot more than you did, even if though you didn't exactly rip into the film. However, having thought about the points you brought up in your review, I'm inclined to agree with the majority of what you said. Eastwood gives a terrific performance, and there's never really a moment I doubted his performance. The combination of intensity and casual racist remarks gives Walt many dislikable characteristics. If Walt's character had been in the hands of a less skilled director... Uh, he would have just come across as a world-weary, cantankerous old fecker, but Eastwood is able to give him a bit more depth. Unfortunately, given Eastwood's great performance, uh, everyone around him suffers slightly. Christopher Carley as Father Yanovich gives a solid performance, but B. Vang as Tao is able to play the wimp very well, but falters when more is required of him. Uh, oh, and yes, I am talking about that scene towards the end of the film, which had me almost laughing at the sheer badness of it all. As for the tone of the film, I agree that it's a bit all over the place, but I believe that Eastwood intended for the first and second half to be comedic. We are supposed to gasp or laugh in some cases at what Walt is saying because it highlights the change in his character later on in the film. Also, kudos to Eastwood for not letting the film or Walt himself descend into cliched mush during the film. All in all, I really enjoyed Gran Torino, even if it does have its fair share of flaws. Oh, and another thing. Was it just me, or was the Oscars really dull this year they should uh, have never got rid of the light comedic christ i've used that word twice in this email tone in my opinion it just slows the show down that saying jackman wasn't a bad host but everyone knows who was going knew who was going to win on the night except for sean penn winning best actor of course anyway bring back the funny that's all i say all the best shane thank you shane um yeah that scene uh where um tao is shouting at walt uh, towards the end i was actually doing a screen check at work the other day and and uh, yeah, when this uh, scene came up, um, 
I, I, I was actually doing the screen check and I stayed there to watch people's reactions and you know quite a few people laughed but then a lot of people didn't laugh so I don't know it's just things like that that I'm not too sure if we are supposed to laugh or not I mean that bit we're not supposed to laugh and that is certainly the worst moment of B. Vang's performance but um but yeah I'm just I'm just not too sure really um about the whole thing I I very very much intend on watching it again actually um maybe not in the cinema but when it comes out on blu-ray I'll, I'll probably rent it just because i think i need to clarify my thoughts on the film a bit further by watching it again but you know in the end of the day if this is eastwood's last performance then he's gone out on like the biggest hit of his career and a film that's been very well regarded in a lot of circles so you know fair play to him um and yeah i mean i obviously like i said i didn't watch the oscars but all the winners did seem very um very obvious i suppose um yeah what can i say i mean I, I talked about the oscars last week but um it, it it just yeah i mean apart from the actor i mean kate winslet was a was a shoe in um penelope cruz in a lot of circles was a shoe in you know heath ledger i mean it, it was just all very obvious and um even though i thought uh slumdog winning uh the uh the um one of the sound awards was a little um was a little funny uh i i kind of thought maybe wally should have really done that but um you know hey um i think i think soon we're gonna get in a couple of years we're gonna get a big blockbuster coming out and winning a load of oscars again like titanic and then we'll all be complaining about how um like a massive film won all the oscars so um in a way i think maybe we can't um we can't ever really win you know um, so, yeah, no, uh, thank you very much to Shane. And finally, uh, Jim Moon, uh, who just Twittered me and uh, put me straight on uh, something regarding the Let the Right One In remake. So, uh, thank you for that, Jim. And uh, he says, Hi, Ian, no worries on lack of replies. I was pretty late getting my feedback in, so I was only expecting an on air reply. Saw Gran Torino this week, and like yourself, felt a bit mixed about it. It is a good, solid film uh, film in many ways, but I felt tonally it did shift about a bit. Possibly Clint was going for a real slice of life with a mix of humour, drama, and emotion, but for me, it came across as the film being a little uncertain of what it wanted to be, and the occasional poor performances didn't help resolve that. Still, a vast improvement on uh, Clint's last race-related comedy, Pink Cadillac, I bet. Uh, looking forward to set settling down with Lifeboat this weekend. Sorry, Jim. Um, it's going to be fun spotting the Hitch cameo in a movie set entirely on a small boat. Um, if I could have seen Lifeboat, I would be covering it on this week's show. I am very, very annoyed with uh, certain applications which enable you to get things on the net. Uh, so I'm going to have to uh, wait. But um, yeah, Gran Torino. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually um, I very much align my opinion with Jim's. Um, it, I think the film did come across as being a little uncertain of what it wanted to be. But um, yeah, I mean, I've actually talked a lot of Gran Torino. I think this must be the, uh, the podcast with the single most uh, replies about a specific film I've actually done. I think every single email has had something about Gran Torino. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, 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 what can I say? I think I just I, I agree with Jim um, pretty much straight. So uh, yeah, that's great. Thank you very much to everybody who's fed back. Uh, it's great to hear from you. And um, hopefully there'll be some more next week where um, I can discuss it with uh, some other people, let's just say.
So then, that is it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. So, as I said at the start of the show, next week's show is a special one. As I guested on um, Mike and Paul's Chin Stroker vs. Punter episode uh, looking at Towelhead, which you can download on this feed and the Chin Stroker vs. Punter feed, the guys are repaying the favour and they are guesting on Cinerama or show it should be Chinorama next week as we all look at uh, the first big blockbuster of the year and a film I am feverishly anticipating with a white hot sweat which cannot be defined by words alone there's an image for you uh watchmen and we're also going to take a look at a film which is rather stupidly coming out on the same week as watchmen um jennifer daughter of david lynch's uh new weirdo thriller surveillance and we're also going to take um a look well i'm going to take a look at the blu-ray of midnight meat train and the guys are going to discuss their thoughts on the film as well and uh hopefully they'll be joining me for movie news trailer talk and listener feedback as well if you guys are listening then you're more than welcome and so um it should be a uh, a, a very interesting show i think it's going to be a good one if anyone emails telling me that they don't like the idea um they can go fuck themselves frankly um i've been looking forward to this for a while it, it okay call me self-indulgent if you want but i think it's going to be a lot of fun so um <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll i'll leave it at that i suppose um okay so feedback is more than welcome please email podcast at yahoo.co.uk um oh i should say the hitchcock marathon is going to be delayed by another week um I think we've got enough to talk about on the show next week as it is, especially with the, uh, with the guys guesting. It, it probably isn't really too appropriate. Well, I suppose it doesn't really matter, but hey. Uh, yeah, so feedback. Uh, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. Um, votes on Podcast Alley, always muchly appreciated, as are reviews on iTunes. And you can read me at the rattle at therattle.co.uk. Um, I should just say, I didn't mean go fuck yourselves. Um you know, uh, just all the kind of controversy of um, having uh, Joshua on the show a while back. Um, I very, very much valued uh, the uh, the folks who were negative about it opinions, and obviously I acted on that. Um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Chinorama, and I really do hope that you guys are also. So yeah, I'll just uh, just try to backtrack slightly. Um, okay, so have a uh, cracking week, and I shall speak to you next week show might be a bit delayed again next week just because we're trying to sort out when we're going to be recording uh but i hope to have it up by the end of the weekend so have a good week um if you if you see watchmen during the week uh absolutely feel free to let me know i'm going to be watching it on thursday so you can email with feedback um without fear of spoiling it for me after thursday so uh yeah let's let's see how that goes and uh i'll stop babbling bye bye